Hello and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. I am your co-host Joshua Iverson, Associate Editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined as always by John Bitzer, Founder and Editor. John, baseball's back. How are you liking it so far? I love it. I, well, there's been some hiccups. Right. So it's, it's, it's weird because it, part of me is overjoyed that it's back and we have something live to watch again. Mm-hmm. Part of me is feeling a little weird about it, and I don't think I'm alone in that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, those, those first two days, I couldn't stop watching. I, yeah. <laughs> there was the, the first two games, the Nationals-Yankees that got shortened by rain, and then Dodgers-Giants, and I was watching all those. And then the next day, I just sat down at my desk just watching games throughout the whole day. And honestly, there's nothing better. I mean, I yeah. obviously, there's some issues, as you mentioned, that we'll be getting into a little later and how those might affect um, the trade front. But... I'm I'm happy we have it for as long as we may. Um, hopefully, it, hopefully it sticks <laughs> around for us. Agreed. All right. So we've, as a result of baseball coming back, we've had a very busy week or so. A whole lot of news, a whole lot of stuff to cover in this show. Uh, we're going to start out with the news, and then we're going to jump into some of the bigger injuries. We're going to jump into the Mookie Betts extension and what uh, what our value says about that deal, if it was a good one. Uh, we have another trade of the week. We're going to discuss some adjustments we've made uh, based on these first opening games and what we've seen. And then the feature presentation of the episode is the next segment of our trade market series, looking at the top starting pitching trade chips. So got a lot to cover. Let's just jump right into this. All right. So to start out, we had two very minor trades. Um, the Braves acquired Scott Shebler from the Reds. Uh, makes sense. The Reds had a very crowded outfield, and he was bottom of the totem pole there. We had his value very low. It makes sense that it's just a cash considerations trade. And same deal today for Hector Velasquez headed from the Orioles to the Astros. The Astros have seen their pitching depth take a hit lately, as many teams have. And so he's just going to be another depth arm for them. Um, For a player to be named later, again, don't expect it to be anybody of significant value. That's right. I think the latter one makes sense for both teams. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, um, uh, the Baltimore GM used to work at Houston, so they may know each other a little bit there. Um, you know, but Hector Velasquez is 31. He's not going to fit their future window. Might as well get, you know, presumably a, a, a minor prospect out of it right. in the future. You know, a bit of a lottery ticket. And Houston right. obviously needs the pitching depth right now because their rotation is in shambles. They're, they've got like eight or nine rookies in their bullpen. Mm-hmm. They, they need help. So they're just yeah. like, okay, he's a warm body. Let's take him. Yeah, he's nothing special, but he'll eat up a couple innings for him. Yeah. All right, and then to the next biggest news from today um, was Nick Markakis opting back into the season. He had previously been one of the first players to opt out. Um, Seems like he's changed his mind. He will be joining the Braves soon. He's able to do this because I believe the deadline was August 1st. I mean, the the rules are a little bit murky there. Uh, Wording's a little confusing there. It seems like MLB's going to be willing to negotiate on some of these uh, fringe guys if they do want to come back. But Marcakis is back. His value has been updated on the site, and we're glad he's back to play baseball again. Yeah, I mean, he's an older guy. Um, He probably needs some time to kind of get back into the groove of things, so we don't expect Mm -hmm. a whole lot of production. Uh, He's on a $4 million deal that'll be prorated, so we don't see a whole lot of surplus value there. It's like 0.2. So, um, but good he's back. Good for baseball. But the Nick Marcakis 3,000 hit chase is back on. There you go. (laughs) All right, then we had some not-so-good news coming out of the state of Texas, as well as um, from the Cardinals and over in St. Louis. 
some real significant pitching injuries. Um, we've seen an uptick in injuries because of the uh, abbreviated second spring training and kind of how pitchers had to ramp up and get back into it, get ready for the season on such short notice. Um, and we've seen a lot of injuries across, across the league. Uh, some of them have been to the biggest pitchers in baseball. Um, the Rangers are without Corey Kluber now due, due to a shoulder injury. He'll be reevaluated, and he, there seems like a chance he could pitch the last couple weeks in the season, likely out of the bullpen, but it's, it's not looking great for him. Verlander, Justin Verlander of the Astros, he originally reports said that he was shut down for the season. Uh, the team since came out and said that they'll be shutting him down for a couple of weeks and reevaluate. He has a forearm strain. Definitely doesn't look good for a guy, for a guy his age, 37 already. Um, he's, he's aged very well in recent years and still is a dominant pitcher, but you don't want to see an elbow injury, a forearm injury, excuse me, at that point in your career. And then a bit of a younger guy, not young per se, but younger than those two, Miles Michaelis of the Cardinals. He'll be undergoing surgery to repair his right flexor tendon, and he'll miss the entirety of the season. And that one really came out of nowhere. Um, so that's three, three guys on the wrong side of 30, each missing a very significant portion, if not all, of this season. And I think the one that, the one that stood, out, stood out to me from, uh, from our standpoint of trade value is Corey Kluber. So he was just traded from the Indians to the Rangers last offseason. And um, leading into that trade, the rumors were there, and we had some people checking out the site and saying, what, Corey Kluber value? Why is it so low? He's an ace. He's a Cy Young Award winner. He's so good. Why is his value so low? And then the trade goes through, and we see it's for Delano de Shields and Emmanuel Classe, who's a, it's kind of a interesting relief prospect and the fourth outfielder type. And people were scratching their heads and thinking the Rangers got a steal. Well, this was part of the concern there. Um, yeah. Kluber missed a large portion of the 2019 season. I believe that was a fractured arm, fractured elbow, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, which seemed like a bit flukier of an injury, but it's not, there's no guarantee you come back from that 100%. Mm -hmm. And... Kluber's 34 now. He's, his best days are pretty clearly behind him. Velocity isn't where it was. And so that, that was always a concern um, when teams were looking at trading for him during the winter. Yeah, and when we looked under the hood, we found that he didn't really look right, it, you know, even, when he, even before the unfortunate uh, comebacker hurt his arm. You know, he had some really bad outings. And, mm -hmm. you know, that... that you know, raise some questions about whether he was right or not I mean, physically. And then, you know, so in, in a way I wasn't surprised, um, it, although saddened, I wasn't surprised yes. to hear that he had some injuries, uh, you know, and it makes you wonder if Cleveland knew that as well. Um, yes. When you match that up against the salary, you know, he was making 17.5 and then 18, I think for an option next year, he's not cheap, right? And mm -hmm. he's getting older and the injury risks occur. When you look at the aging curves, the performance starts to go down, the injury risk starts to go up, and the salary is high. You don't see a whole lot of surplus value there. So that's why the, that's why we, we weren't surprised by the late return. And um, and now, sadly, we're not surprised by, you know, the fact that this is coming out and that he's not right. So mm -hmm. wish him all the best. Yeah, but from a definitely. trade perspective, you know, this is, this is, this is starting to un uh, reveal some things. So not, not to get too far into speculation here, but Kluber – has an $18 million club option for, for next season. Mm -hmm. What does your gut say on that, and what does the value say? 
uh, the value says that he's not worth it. So when we're looking strictly at the uh, the numbers, he's under that line, which suggests that they're just going to buy him out for a million. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and if you're Texas, I think it might be a little bit of a tougher choice. You know, they've gotten lucky with signing some veterans lately and seeing them come back, you know, Lance Lynn and Mike Miner. And, and so yeah. they they might have got ahead of themselves. Like, yeah, let's just, sign, you know, we'll trade with this guy, sign that guy, and maybe they just keep it rolling. It, it doesn't yeah. always work out that way. Yeah. Um, and maybe this one isn't going to either. It's their call. Um, but I think there's more risk than reward in that, in yeah. that scenario. I wouldn't be surprised at all because I don't think – Regardless of what happens here, I don't think he's signing any big multi-year deal after the season if that club op- option is declined. Yeah. I could very well see him signing, re-signing for a lower one-year deal yeah. uh, with Texas. I see incentive on both sides for that. Yeah, and that's not unusual at all. You start see- seeing guys kind of bumping down the, the salary spectrum as yeah. as these things happen. You know, okay, next year he'll sign. He's not going to, you know, let's say he they, they buy him out for a million. Now he's a free agent. He'll sign maybe for eight or nine or ten. Maybe that goes well, maybe it doesn't. And then a year later he signs for six and then four, and that's typically yeah. how it goes. Yeah. So reiterating, we wish all the best for Kluber. We love to watch him, and we wish he were healthy. We hope he heals fast. And the same can be said for both Verlander and Michaelis. Well, we had um, Verlander actually, um, you know, right on the cusp of, of fair value, just because he, as great as he is, and he, as great as he was last year, you know, the sadly the aging curves don't lie, you know, and and so that clock was ticking. He's 37 now, and the injury risk goes higher and higher. So again, I wasn't surprised that something happened. Um, and that's why we had now we have him at, at negative value because I don't know if he's going to come back from this. My own personal opinion, this is not justified. I'm not a doctor, but yeah. it looks like it's it's a it's a case where it may he if he were younger he might have opted for to, uh, Tommy John surgery. Right. Given that he's 37 and there's not much left of this year, and you know would have wiped out the rest of this year and most of next year at least, which would have wiped out his you know, his contract. And, you know, at that point, he's 38. Who's, you know, this may be a career killer. So I think he's just trying to make the best of it, try to nurse himself back to hell, get a PRP injection, see what that does. It's, you know, Tanaka of the Yankees had a little bit of a similar situation, albeit he was younger. Uh, but I think, you know, uh, what I see is Verlander's just trying to, like, nurse himself as best he can in, you know, through the end of his contract. And, and you know, good luck to him as well. But um, I'm not optimistic that it's going to, result in a whole lot right and this is this is awful worst case scenario for houston they already watched garrett cole walk and head to new york in the offseason they felt comfortable letting him walk i mean i'm sure they would have loved to bring him back but they felt comfortable going into this season with verlander and zach granke at the front of their rotation and now verlander's having a significant injury that's not great granke always looks like he's (laughs) like he's one one bad start away from everything falling apart. The Velos hasn't been great for a couple of years now. He's managed to get by with it, and he's still a very good pitcher, but I don't think you're ever fully comfortable in Granky going forward yes. at his age as well. Yeah. And after that, it's a whole lot of question marks in that rotation. Um, we'll get into that a little bit more later on with our trade of the week, but it's, it's not looking great in Houston right now. It is not. Uh, yeah, and they've got whole bunch of question marks in that rotation. They've got some mm-hmm. injured guys like Ryan Presley in the bullpen, even as soon as velocity is down, you know, they're they're They got a whole bunch of band-aids going on right now there. So they're mm-hmm. in trouble. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, Miles Michaelis, 
he was a really interesting guy. He spent uh, the majority of his career in the big leagues uh, with Texas and the Padres, and then head, headed overseas. Was it? Uh, it was Japan, right? I believe so. Uh, he yeah. went to Japan. He was very successful there. Uh, Cardinals signed him to a deal. He was very good for them. They gave him a pretty sizable extension, and now he'll be out for this entire season. He was a little bit disappointing last year, which put his contract underwater. It was, you know, he's making seventeen million a year for a few years to come yeah. still. Um, and so I think they, uh, you know, twenty twenty is always hindsight. Who knows? But you know, they really cut it close there with the risk reward sort of thing. You, if you're if you're a GM, you want to leave yourself a little wiggle room. I don't think they did. And when things turn yeah. south, it it gets negative fast, and that's where he's at now. Yeah, and he's he's always been a weird one where the stuff looks great, the velocity looks great, doesn't really miss many bats, um, really great great control, and I don't know how that profile comes back from a significant injury like this. Um, if he loses a tick, is, is he the same guy? If he's not missing any bats, if he's just kind of a strike thrower mm-hmm. sitting lower 90s, is, is he the same guy? Um, I think there's a lot of reason to be concerned there for St. Louis as well. Pitchability, man. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's always the, the progression, right? With with pitchers, as they get older and they lose velocity, they have to become smarter pitchers. And if they mm-hmm. do, you know, you have an Adam Wainwright kind of career where you can nurse yourself into the, your mid to late 30s and and you know still be valuable. Um, you know, there's plenty of examples of that. You know, um, it's going to happen. Guys lose velocity, and but they have to start, you know, painting the corners and and finding other ways to get other ways to get people out to your point he he probably can't rely on in, in the ways that he used to mm-hmm. because they were starting to hit him last year and now it's probably going to be worse when he comes back so he has to or else it's it's really sunk cost for the cardinals right so hoping for the best for all three of those guys that's a huge huge loss on either each of those teams and we'll have to see in the coming weeks if they go out and make an addition to compensate for that loss yes We'll talk and, about that later. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and we'll talk about it right now. I think this is a guy that there's a chance he finds a spot on one of those teams. I don't think it's very likely. Um, the Braves designated Mike Fultonevich for assignment the other day, and that, I think, caught everyone by surprise. He was, last season, he, he was the guy they counted on. He was their game five starter in the NLDS. He was, he was very good for them. He's only 28. He obviously was very, very bad in that start, in that NLDS start, um, historically bad. But he was their guy. And then coming into this year, there were reports that his velocity was a little down. He blamed it on um, on a faulty radar gun during preseason. And then his first start, his velocity is still down. He's hovering around 90-ish from a guy that used to throw 97, 98, 99. Mm-hmm. And then they just decide that same day, all right, we can't, we can't deal with this and they cut him loose yeah so this is a very tricky and interesting situation uh, because he's had his ups and downs before he's had really bright moments and really awful moments really like it's hard to find a case where you had such a range of severe highs and lows you know because they you know they they sent him down to the minors last year Mm-hmm. You know, and then he came comes back and he's their game two ALCS starter. He was an all star before that. He's really been all over the place, right? Uh, but he's also, to your point, you know, relied heavily on that velocity. And here's a here again is a case when you come back and your velocity is way down, and that was your bread and butter, and everything's hitting you. Um, you know, that's not good. 
but I will I will say there's always things that we don't know. Now we had his value at 6.4. I mean that's not high. It's not like super low when we see DFAs. They're typically in the zeros and a little bit of one here and there. But you know the average is you know in in the zeros zero to one range. So it caught us by surprise a little bit too. But I think everybody in the industry was caught by surprise by that one. So we're all in good company here. And I think there's there's more to the story that we might find out later, um, because you know on paper you would think that, you know, they'd give him another shot. You know, maybe he just needed to work himself up back into shape and the velocity would tick up. Clearly the Braves, you know, knew more than we did and the rest of the industry did as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say also there's a budget component to this. Yeah, He was making over $6 million uh, this year. The typical raise in the ARB3 year coming up is 50%. So he was looking at nine plus million next year of all things held. So... You, it's you started to see this a little bit last year where guys who were um, not going to be tendered a contract because their numbers were below the number that they estimated for their ARB3 year would get towards the end of the year, they'd get released by their teams. That happened to Kevin Gosman, actually, by the Braves last year. Mm-hmm. So the it's it, they might have said, okay, we're non-tendering him next year because we're not going to pay him $9 because we don't think he's going to be at, at that level. And we, in a shortened season now, um, even though his contract is prorated, he's still making over $2 million, but we don't see a path here where he's going to get it back. So they just cut him loose. And they save a couple million bucks by doing so if another team claims him as is, which might happen. Uh, or if they trade for him successfully, they might save that money. So it was a balancing of those factors as well. But again, there's probably more to the story that we don't know. Mm-hmm. Specifically in his, his case, it's... I gotta say, it's way more likely than not that somebody either picks him up or trades for him. I mean, just look at toward the bottom of the waiver list. The Marlins, we'll we'll get to them, yeah, um, a little later. But that is, <laughs> they need all the pitching they get. They need all the major league players they can get. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd assume they're on board there. Boston, have you looked at that rotation? That's that's yep. a disaster over there. Yep. Um, even. Even Fultonevich at ninety ninety one might be better than all five of their guys are right now. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> and for that reason, that's you know, we've had a few commenters saying, "Oh yeah, why he's, his value is zero now, right?" Well, not necessarily. When when someone is DFA'd, it doesn't mean their value is zero. Um, they still have a chance to be traded for something. And given that you know there still may be some upside in Fultonevich. You know, we felt like it wasn't zero. So we have him at 1.5 right now because um, we're balancing all of the factors as we always do when we're adjusting trade value. But anytime uh, a, a player is DFA'd, we try to make an adjustment as, me, as soon as possible for the reason that the team he's currently on has less leverage in trade. Yeah. They know the clock is ticking and they have to get rid of him somehow. And the other yeah. teams know this as well. So it's just a matter of, it's like, you know, best offer wins so um but you know in his case there may be a bit of a uh something they get for him even yeah. though it's going to be relatively small yeah and i think that uh something you mentioned earlier that we don't have all the information that's that's more true than ever this season um typically we get four or five weeks of spring training and we can see reports that hey this guy's velocity is down or hey this guy's looking like he might not be playing very much looks like he might not make the roster that kind of thing usually we have a few weeks of very public spring training games to get that information this year we didn't this year we had a couple weeks of private camps where we got some information not a whole lot and then maybe a couple exhibition games and that was all we had to go off of so we did make some other adjustments 
uh, two of the names you mentioned to me were Franklin Barreto and Dustin Fowler with the A's. Uh, those are both former top prospects for them. Fowler didn't even make the 30-man roster this year, and Barreto is likely the 30th man on that roster. He's not getting any playing time at all, despite the A's wide-open second-base situation. So those are two guys that we can tell their value has decreased significantly, uh, maybe not maybe not as linearly as we usually adjust prospect values when they become major leaguers, so we needed to make an adjustment there. So uh, who, are, who are a couple other guys in that mold that we've changed? Yeah, so um, there's a general point here, which is we try to follow the model that we built as objectively as possible. Um, we try to limit the subjectivity. Yeah. But we've also found that um, it's important to read the tea leaves. It's important to watch the signals from the teams. And sometimes, you know, we just talked about the DFA. That happens after those tea leaves have already sort of been, you know, well, in most cases anyway, with Fulton Nefers, there was a bit of a surprise. But in many cases, a guy is DFA'd after you see that, well, he's not getting playing time or he's had a couple of bad outings or he was, you know, demoted. And, you know, yeah. a lot of things, a lot of signals start to happen. So we've started to realize that we need to be attuned to those signals and we started to adjust, you know, accordingly. So, um, so that's one sort of development that we've, that we've found. So um, Heimer Candelario of the Tigers, we had you know, relatively high. He had one really good year, but not so good last year. And he's off to kind of a cold start this year. And we're starting to realize that, you know, they're in batting ninth in the order. And sometimes, you know, you start to see these signals that maybe his team is seeing that he's he's not quite that you know what he used to be and so we're starting to see these signs we're not we're also aware that there is a small sample size happening but at the same yeah. time so so are all the other teams right and they're going to have to make decisions soon with a trade deadline coming up so you know there's um you know we're just trying to get in tune as much as possible with these signs that we're seeing mm -hmm. and on top of that we're going to be keeping on guys keep an eye on guys in the opposite direction where if it looks like somebody's made a very significant change and it's not it's not just a week of you know bloops finding holes or dribblers through the infield or whatever it's if a guy seems to have legitimately changed his approach launch angle exit velocity something like that or developed a new pitch he's throwing way harder something like that we're keeping an eye on these guys um, to see if if there's a legitimate change there where yes their value has spiked more than just the adjusted projections would account for. Exactly. So another example is Gregory Soto of the Tigers. Something changed there. He was, mm -hmm. you know, not a well-regarded prospect, just okay in his cup of coffee last year. But my goodness, he's been lights out his first couple out. He's, he's hitting 98, 99. He's pumping gas. He's he, Guys are looking looking bewildered when they go up to bat mm -hmm. against him. He's clearly something has changed and he's yeah. amazing right now. So his value is going up. <clears throat> mm -hmm. um, but there have been a lot of other injury cases that we haven't talked about where we, you know, as soon as we hear the news, we adjust down. Ken Giles, mm -hmm. we had to adjust down. He was going to be, you know, probably the top of our list of relievers when we got to it available in the trade market. Now uh, it's hard to make that case because mm -hmm. he's on the, he's on the IL. Um, Colin Pochet, another uh, talented reliever of the Rays, has been out with an injury. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez, of the starter with the White Sox, just went down with an injury. He had some signs as well. By the way, um, when a pitcher's below is down, quite often that's an indicator that something is wrong, and quite mm -hmm. often you'll see, you know, that guy go on 
and on the IL. So we, we we're even looking at things at that level. And, and we're so, not talking just one or two miles an hour. That's kind of expected this early in the year. Right. We're talking things like the Fulton case where he's right. typically high nineties and now he's struggling to hit 91. Um, right. And usually that's the kind of thing that finds its way to, we're not, we're not scouting every, every play by play of MLB at bat every night. Um, it's, it's something that'll find its way to us. The reporters will report on it if a guy is significantly down. That's right. And last point I would make is with prospects who come up and, you know, maybe they make their debut and it, it might be only one game with a pitcher. It might be a few games with an outfielder or an infielder. But if they're performing well, it, that's a big leap to make. When you first come <laughs> up to the majors, you know, quite often guys take a while to adjust. But if they've adjusted quickly and it may be total short sample, small sample size, it may be a weak opponent. But we're keeping an eye on guys like that. Kyle Lewis of the Mariners is off to a really good start. Uh, David Peterson, the Mets, just came up and had a really, really good start. Uh, You know, and so this is, again, small sample size theater. But nonetheless, they made the jump so far so good. So we're Mm -hmm. keeping an eye on those guys as well. Yeah. Last guy I wanted to bring up here is G-Man Choi. Mm -hmm. Um, His numbers don't jump off the chart at you right now. And he just had a, I think he's day-to-day right now with a shoulder injury. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep talking about this guy until everyone hears about it. He's a left-handed hitter. He's been a left-handed hitter for the vast majority of his career. I believe I saw he hasn't hit right-handed in any sort of professional game since like 2015. And even then it was 17 at bats or something. And he just, I, I might've missed a story or something here. Maybe it's because it's the Rays. They don't get as much coverage. I didn't know he was messing around with switch hitting or anything. But uh, apparently he hit a homer the other day, <laughs> he did. right-handed off of Anthony Kay, who is a pretty well-regarded pitching prospect, left-handed pitching prospect for the Toronto Blue Jays. And it's, that's, first of all, I'm, my mind is blown that <laughs> a guy, he's, he's in his 30s, he can just step up to the plate on the other side of the plate and put a ball out. Like, that's insane to me. But it, on top yeah. of that, it mean, it's it's got some meaning for his trade value here. Right now he's a left-handed platoon bat at first base, which isn't generally the most valuable trade asset. If he's a switch hitter, that's pretty big. It could be. Uh, I'd like to see more of that just Definitely, to make sure yeah. it wasn't a fluke. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I, you make some great points and he's a, he's a fun guy to keep an eye on because he mm-hmm. just get, always gets a sense there's he's sneaky. There's more in the tank there <laughs> than we thought, you know, there's more stuff going on there. So yeah, yeah so. Well, that's another one we're going to keep an eye on. All right, so from there, let's head into the Mookie Betts deal. Um, I think this caught everyone by surprise. Um, it just kind of came out of nowhere right as the season was starting, and after weeks and weeks of the uh, owners telling players they couldn't afford to have a season, one of the owners just decided to open up the checkbook for $300 million plus. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, if, um, if you include this year, you can add it up to he was making twenty seven on paper this year. Obviously that's been prorated. Yeah. But if you include that twenty seven and then you extend it, he's been extended for another twelve years at three sixty five. If you add gotcha. that up, that totals three ninety two. Um, you know, it's really an extension of twelve years at three sixty five. Mm-hmm. The um, MLBPA accountants did did some um, some analysis of that. A lot of that money has been deferred. Uh, mm-hmm. one hundred and fifty million dollars of that has been deferred. And so because of the time value money, money is less valuable later than it is now. Um, the actual real value of that is $306 million. So that extension part, anyway, that 12 years at $306 million, 
So that's not actually all that much more than, say, the Red Sox offered him, um, you know, last year. And it's it's not as much of a headline grabber when you do the math as, yeah. as it might seem. And I think the Dodgers got a really good deal out of this. They bought low, essentially, and they took advantage of the circumstance. They have an exclusive, exclusive negotiating window with him on their team right now. They're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, revenues are low. And, and Mookie may have felt like, you know what, I'll, I'll take the best, you know, I like it here. And it seems like a reasonably enough good offer under the circumstances, so I'm going to take it. It's a little bit surprising that he couldn't have held out for more. But then again, there's probably not going to be much more, you know, uh, after this year. A lot of teams will be hurt, and he may not. He may have decided that, you know, this is a burden hand kind of situation, mm -hmm. so it's a good enough deal to take. Um, the other sort of interesting part of it for me was if he was traded, that deferred money changes to as earned year over year. In other words, the value of that contract suddenly changes to what it, it in fact was on paper. So instead of a 306 million real value right now, if he were traded, and he's not going to be, but let's say he was, it would it would revert actually to 374. And then we based our trade value on that assumption because obviously if he is traded, whoever he was traded to would have to pay his that salary now. So it's it's a hidden kind of no trade clause in a way that yeah. is a disincentive for another team to trade for him. And so um, it, that actually hurts his trade value. I don't think he's going to get traded anytime soon. He might get traded, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years from now after he's passed his prime and it starts to go negative and somebody wants to take a shot at it. I don't know. But but um, there's a lot of surplus up front. There's a lot of negative value we project in the back. And so it's going to even out right now as to about even on all that basis. We have it at 18 right now because if somebody traded for him right now, given all those circumstances, you'd have to apply a market premium to it. You know, he's a big star. So there's that. So, um, but it's a fair deal otherwise in, in, in reasonable terms. And it's probably more fair than the Dodgers to the Dodgers than anything. Mm -hmm. And then the October bonus there as well. October bonus as well, because the Dodgers are so stacked, not only at their major league level, but with their farm that you can easily see them. I mean, with the, and it's, it seems like it's their intention, you know, to, to think that way of like, Hey, we're going to the playoffs every year. He's going to help us every year. So we got an extra month out of him. We're going to, we're going to have him contributing to that in every October. Mm -hmm. So there's another, so you can't just base it on the, the regular season numbers. You have to anticipate yeah. that value as well. And there's the thinking that if another team is trading for him in some weird scenario down the line, it's because they're adding him on for a playoff push. That's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think one of my main takeaways from this deal is that it's, it's, I don't think it tells us too much about what the market's going to look like next year, especially when you look into, like you just mentioned, when you look kind of past the big number that grabs the headline and into, okay, what is that actually worth today? Um, it, it might even look a little light. Um, so I don't, I don't know how much it tells us about what the free agent market, what dollars per war is going to look like um, after this season. I think there's still a lot of uncertainty there. I think even if Betts had signed some mega deal or no deferrals or whatever, <clears throat> I think even then it doesn't tell us a whole lot because Betts was the crown jewel there. It's the Dodgers. He's the second best player in baseball. He's young. The Dodgers have been trying to get a big superstar and lock him up long-term for years now. And they finally got their guy here with bets. So I don't think there's a whole lot we can take from it. I agree. 
Uh, I think this was a fairly unique situation. I would add that the Dodgers don't have, you know, much on the books after I think it's 2022 either. Kershaw's only on the books for I think another year or two. Yeah. Pollock, I think, and through you know through that year, and they can afford it. And you know, you got Justin Turner's uh, contract is is up this year as well. Um, and again, because they have a pipeline of young talent coming in, that talent's going to be paid at the league minimum salary mm-hmm. for their first three years. So their their commitments are on the length side. So they could easily afford this, and and probably will do even more. You know, they're one of the richer teams in baseball already, and it's it's almost obscene. You know, the richer getting yeah. richer here. <clears throat> so yeah, they made it out like bandits, I think. Yeah, they got their like closest free agents are guys like Turner, Kershaw, as you mentioned, Pollock, Peterson. None of those guys, maybe Kershaw, I'd say he's the one, uh, but none of those guys are the type that they would put a whole lot of money into keeping from free agency, I don't think. Um, for those guys, you're, and they'd, they'd much rather replace them from the farm with that cheap talent. Um, and even with this bets deal, they still have more than enough money to open up the bank again for a Bellinger, for Corey Seager, for Walker Bueller. Yeah. Or even, or even give Kershaw another reasonable extension. Um, so I think, yeah, this <laughs> when you're the Dodgers, you're playing with Monopoly money. Um, <laughs> yeah. And especially in their current scenario where they haven't given out much Monopoly money lately so they can afford to do this. Yeah, and, and to their credit also, they laid the groundwork before this. You know, they made some – remember the trades they made, you know, the Matt Kemp deal where right. they were moving money around um, to get under the salary cap? So that when they did want to spend money, you know, there weren't going to be a restricted program. It was very smart planning. Mm-hmm. What can we say? The Dodgers have a very smart front office. They do. All right. So Mookie Betts is going to be in Los Angeles seemingly for the rest of his career. Um, from there, let's head into the trade of the week here. So we mentioned it before that we'd be talking about the Astros again. And I'm just seeing this trade I just saw it for the first time when I when we sat down to start recording this episode. And my gut reaction is it just makes so much sense um, all around. So it's, it's between the Astros and the Tigers, and it's a straight-up one-for-one. The Astros picking up lefty Matt Boyd uh, and giving, up, giving, to, giving the Tigers their top former outfield prospect, Kyle Tucker, in exchange. And the values here aren't quite in line. Um, Boyd's at 33.4 million, Tucker's at 43.9 million, but it's it's probably fairly reasonable to expect a bidding war for Boyd, given all of these pitcher injuries we've been mentioning, given the potential that Boyd has, the team control, all of that, and it's not too hard to to see the markets or the Astros souring on Tucker a little bit, since he's lost his prospect status and he hasn't really done a whole lot yet. So what do you think of this deal? Yeah, I think those points are spot on. I think our our users are thinking the same thing. It's got 13 yeah. likes so far. I mean, there you can easily imagine that gap in value being filled. So this is not an outrageous sort of you know um, overpay in my view. Mm-hmm. Um, now I will say that we we've already sort of you know implied the market value of Matthew Boyd already in his valuation. You know, we bumped it up based on supply supply demand factors, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, so one could argue that, yeah, he's already kind of pushing it at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, but one could also argue that Tucker maybe 
this is kind of, you know, stock's been dropping a little bit. And it, yeah. you know, we have it there because we don't want to impose anything yet. But we're also, as we mentioned earlier, reading some tea leaves and thinking about maybe, you know, his value might drop a little bit. So you can easily make a case that Boyd could be a little higher and Tucker could be a little lower. And so it seemed reasonable. And also from mm -hmm. the strategy point of view, Obviously, we talked about earlier the Astros need pitching help in the rotation with, with Verlander going down and so many question marks there. And the Tigers need young prospects that are that are position players because they've got a, a stable of young pitchers coming through their pipeline. Mm -hmm. But they need more position players. And so it's a fit from both sides. Yeah. And I mean, this doesn't necessarily there is there is a bit of a gap here. I think even if you do want to just tucker down and void up, I think there is still a gap that would need to be cleared here. Um, maybe it's a guy you mentioned earlier, Gregory Soto. Maybe he, the Astros have never been afraid to take a chance on a guy that's thrown a few good innings and looks like he's made a significant change. They did it with Ryan Presley. It worked out fantastic for them. They took a chance on Ryan B, uh, Joe Biagini, excuse me, um, last off or last trade deadline. Hasn't quite worked out for them yet, but still plenty of time for it to pan out. And I think uh, I think uh, Gregory Soto is exactly their type of relief arm. Although I think the Tigers may want to hold on to him now. Maybe, I think yeah. His, his value is going to continue to climb if he keeps doing what he's mm -hmm. doing. But I think, I think regardless of what you want, if you want to quibble about the gap there, this is a framework that just, it just works. I mean, yeah. Um, and there's, there's more that you could go into here. Maybe the Astros don't see as much in Boyd um, as other teams might. Maybe they're not quite as excited about him since he does have a bit of a home run problem. That's not a great thing for Minute Maid Park with the uh, Crawford boxes down the left field line so close. Yeah. Um, but they need pitching. I don't think they're going to be able to be picky, as we'll get into in a minute here. Um, yeah, I, I think he's he's not going to be at the top of the rotation. He'll, he'd be mm -hmm. their number three guy probably, you know. Um, but they need a number three guy. They've only got two established starters at the moment. So, yeah, there you go. Okay. Oh, I almost forgot to mention that that uh, trade was submitted by Warmbath101. He frequently submits trades to the site. And I will say he always offers excellent explanations about each one. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Which uh, we appreciate. We, we, we appreciate that for sure. And it makes it, it makes a much stronger case for your trade if you just drop into the comments down below when you submit it and explain where you're coming from. It makes it much more likely that people will agree with you and much more likely that we'll discuss your trade here on the show. So, yeah. Moving on from there into our feature topic of this episode, it's the starting pitching trade market. Um, I think we have some comments generally about the trade market that we need to discuss and with what happened to the Marlins this week. Uh, do you want to start with that? Starting with the Marlins, well, obviously yeah. it's it's horrible news. Mm -hmm. um, last I heard, there was a grand total of 16 players who tested positive for COVID-19. And that's more than half the roster. Which is more than half the roster. Just from a, so just from, obviously from a human and medical standpoint, you know, um, mm -hmm. that's that's really horrible news. But I hope they're all well and recover well and, and, and you know, get better. Um, that's obviously put a damper on things as they've had to postpone games this week. But now there's some risk of even fielding a competitive team for when they do come back. You see them active on the waiver wire, picking up warm bodies here and there. These are not... Uh, you know, any stars or anything, but they, yeah. you know, they picked up three pitchers on the waiver, on the waiver wire just and Logan Forsyth, Justin Schaefer, oh, just kind of exactly, yeah. yeah. So um, clearly, they just need you know players to, to field a team. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
you know, and and I understand um, uh, their pitching staff in particular has been hit hard, so that's mm-hmm. why they're adding pitchers as well. Um, you know, there's a larger point here that, um, coupled with the news of Verlander and Nicholas and others that we've talked about, pitchers are getting injured, perhaps because they didn't have the proper ramp-up period, you know, and, you know, we have between what the Marlins are experienced with, with COVID-19 positive cases and other pitchers getting injured, um, there's a lack of supply in terms of people, so many teams needing good pitching, both rotation help and bullpen help that it's really shifted the dynamic to, oh my gosh, we need good pitchers. Um, who's available? Um, mm-hmm. Further, you know, with the playoff format expanded to 16 teams this year, um, you know, even the bubble teams may feel like they have a shot. Um, I only count seven teams that would be sellers, which would mean you'd have potentially 23 buyers against seven sellers. Those seven sellers, if they've got starting pitching, their phones are... I'm sure ringing off the hook right now. So um, it's it's quite lopsided for a number of reasons. Would you yeah. agree? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we're going to see a situation where prices for guys like Boyd might just be exorbitantly high. And I mean, teams might get those those few sellers might get a little. I don't want to say greedy because they're just playing the market the way it is, but they might say, "Hey, I've got." 15 other teams calling me on this guy you need to give me the offer that i'm asking for here and i think as a result of that you're going to see a lot of teams say i don't think i want to take that risk i don't if you're the astros do you want to give up some of your best young talent for matt boyd in a season that if there's another outbreak like the marlins just had another multiple outbreaks the season might not even make it i think i think that is something that i personally underestimated heading into this season. And I think we talked about it briefly on our first episode back this year was talking about how there might be some concern from buyers. They might not want to give up multiple guaranteed years of a prospect, no matter what you're getting six years of this guy for a player where you might not get anything from him because the season might fall through. I think the Marlins situation has kind of opened my eyes to the chances of the season falling through. And I think it did for a lot of teams as well, because if we had multiple, if if there was a situation like that, and it, it still could very well be this situation, if it if it spread from the Marlins, if some Phillies have it, and they, thankfully no Phillies players have tested positive yet. But if it did, if it spread to the Phillies, if it spread to the Yankees, if it starts spreading across the league, I think we're in trouble here. Yeah. And it's not too hard to see that happening. So... I'm I'm curious as to how many teams actually go out and actively buy on the market and how many say we're going to cross our fingers with what we got. Maybe we promote that top prospect we didn't really want to. Maybe we call up that uh, that live bullpen arm that hasn't pitched above double A, but we think he's got a shot to get some outs. I think we might see more of that than trades this, this yeah. summer. Yeah, and also today is service time and manipulation day, as we call right. it. So that's why you see Nate Pearson coming up for the Blue Jays, and you'll start to see a few more of those guys who have, you know, really, you know, top top uh, pitching arms start to, you know, come up. So, um, so <clears throat> I think you make great points, and I agree. The thing that's going to cool off the market, particularly on the rental side, is oh my gosh, I don't want to give up too much for, you know, a potential postseason that may not even happen. Yeah, and you know. So um, so the way we've structured it 
and we've talked about this in the past as well, in, is in terms of high probability, medium probability, and low probability. So um, now with the um, <clears throat> uh, with that all as kind of a backdrop, we have to look at which players are actually available on these clear selling teams. As I, as I counted, there's only five in the high probability bucket. These are um, on teams that figure to be sellers, the Giants, the Mariners, the Tigers. But the problem is they don't have much to sell. Um, mm -hmm. it, these are guys that are sort of just not terribly exciting. On the Giants, you've got the best one's probably Kevin Gosman. You know, we have his value at 2.4 right now. Jefferson Marja, whose contract is a little bit underwater. You could see him maybe going for fair value if there's an overbid. But again, he's not exciting. He's past his prime. These are inner innings eaters. Yvonne Nova yeah. of the Tigers. And then a couple of guys with question marks coming back after long layoffs, Drew Smiley and Taiwan Walker. That's the list. There's no U Darvish this year. There's no superstar that everybody's going to be climbing over. It's just some back-end innings eaters. You know, and so... Mm -hmm. Offsetting those points, or it's like, yeah, you could give up a lottery ticket for an Avon Nova, sure, if you need a warm body, you know, that's not going to kill you. Um, so that I could see happening, right? Yeah, I do think there's an opportunity here, and it applies to all probabilities, but probably this one the most. Um, the example I'm going to use is Anthony Desclafani with the Reds. Um, Probably not the greatest example since he is currently dealing with a minor injury. He hasn't pitched yet this year, but let's say he comes back, he rattles off four great starts. But the Reds are sitting 15 and 15 or something like that. They're around 500, maybe a game above, game behind. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there for those borderline teams to just say, all right, we're, we're just going to sell some of these rentals off. Because um, Desclafani becomes one of the best, if not the best, rental arm on the market. And I'm not necessarily suggesting they blow it up because the Reds have a very talented team. They could be very talented next year. They could still make the playoffs this year without Desclafani, given the expanded playoff format. But I think there's some opportunity there to take advantage of such a weak, weak market, such a huge seller's market, and say, yeah, we can deal with five starts of Tyler Maley instead of Anthony Desclafani if it gets us maybe a potential bullpen arm we like in the future or that shortstop prospect that we really like or whatever the case may be. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I know it, 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 it's, I'm hesitating a little bit because I know the Reds really want to go for yeah. it this year. You know, that was just the first that came to mind. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and they got Trevor Bauer, and they signed Moustakas, and, you know, they've got these, they really want to go for it. So I didn't think he would be available, but you could be right, especially if they get off to a, a very cold start. That may change. Um, where I think it starts to get a little bit more interesting is in our list of me medium probability, and these are starters with uh, more than one year of control left. <coughs> so they're not rentals. Call them near rentals, if you like. Um, but they're a little bit more interesting, and from the buyer's perspective it may be okay because you think okay even this this season gets canceled i've still got the guy for another year or more and so now we're looking at the matthew boyds of the world um joe musgrove of the pirates is probably the biggest uh yeah he is the biggest value here at 44.4 um he's not considered an ace necessarily but he's he's getting better and better every year he had 3.3 f4 last year and he's getting good so he would be like a number three, a solid number three on a contending team, I think. So you might think the Astros might be interested in him because he used to be in the Astros. Uh, then again, they traded him away, so maybe not. 
so he's an interesting name. Matthew Boyd, we talked about his interesting name. Uh, Caleb Smith, who was very hot last year and then kind of got cold in the second half, maybe. And then, but then again, we've got the Marlin situation, all sorts of intangibles there. Who knows what's going on, whether they'd want to trade anybody at this, under these circumstances or not. But let's say some of these guys might be on the market. Let's say the Angels get off to a cold start. Andrew Haney may become available. Um, you know, so there's a few other sort of middling guys here, some underwater guys like Danny Duffy and Alex Cobb, Johnny Cueto, if he starts pitching well, even though his contract is very underwater, maybe somebody works something out there. The Giants seem to have a lot of these kind of guys, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that list is a little bit more interesting. Again, still not a super duper ace, but some, some stuff there. Yeah, I think three games or three names, excuse me, pop up to me on this list. First one's Alex Cobb. Uh, he had a very strong first start back, and I'm definitely not going to put too much weight into that first start, but he's had, he was a very reliable, very good back-end arm before the injuries hit last season. And so I think if, if he has three or four more decent starts, shows that he's capable, shows that he's healthy, I think there's some value there for the Orioles to pay that contract down and get something in return for him. I think the next guy is Michael Fulmer, um, another guy that's dealt with extensive injuries in, in the past and kind of had a lot of that shine taken off of him because of that. He used to be, he was the rookie of the year. He was one of the best young pitchers in baseball, and now we see his values at 2.3. That's just because of the injury concern, because he hasn't been the same guy since he came back. But I think if he rattles off a couple, again, a couple good starts here, and he could jump to the top of one of these lists and become one of the most demanded players for teams like the Astros that are more analytically inclined and willing to take a chance on a guy with with great potential and great history behind him. And then, yeah. and then the third name on this list, uh, Trevor Williams. I think he's a guy that's just consistently eight innings, and that's very valuable this year. We've seen so many teams, their starters, and it, it is early in the season. Um, guys aren't quite up into top shape yet but we've seen a lot of teams their starters go three four innings and that's going to be taxing on the bullpen by the end of the year trevor williams is a guy that always just takes the ball every fifth day he's not very exciting takes the ball every fifth fifth day gives you five or six innings and you're happy with it and i think that's got a lot of value this year yeah and we have him at 16 right now i wouldn't be surprised if if they traded him he got a little bit more than that um you know so yeah, he's a, he's a middle-ish rotation guy. Mm -hmm. Reliable. I think reliability, to your point, is is really the most important factor in many ways. If you, if you can keep guys in games, uh, keep your team in games, I think that's that counts for a lot these days. Mm -hmm. um, shall we move on to the low probability list? Yes, and once okay. again, this is split up into two kind of tiers of low yep. probability, and that's kind of the star or star quality type pitchers that are a bit harder to move on contenders and the rentals on contenders. Yeah. So starting off the rentals on the contenders, um, the names that jump out at me are Robbie Ray and Mike Miner too. You know, Ray has been one of the top, you know, starters in the league, had some home run issues, uh, but excellent strikeout pitcher has changed a little bit of his delivery yes, um, yeah. coming into this year and actually seems to look even better. So um, now we have him at 9.0, um, not not necessarily because his his surplus is that is because if the Rays kept him, they could QO uh, him. Diamondbacks and, and get. I'm sorry, the Diamondbacks. Um, if they kept him and QO QO'd him at the end of the year, 
they would get the value of a draft pick if he declined it. And so that's their baseline price. Um, so um, so he's going to be kind of a tough sell. And also, you know, the Diamondbacks, I think, consider themselves solid contenders, certainly for second place in the NL West. And so you know, I think they'll want to keep him. So mm-hmm. um, Mike Miner um, with Texas, you know, they, I think, are a bubble team that, that wants to shoot for it. So I don't think they'd be shopping him. But who knows? If, if things go badly and they start to fall out of contention, they might take offers on him and he might go a little higher than that. And, you know, other people on this list, same same situation, Garrett Richards with the Padres, Mike Myers with the A's. You know, there's a few here on teams that figure to be on contenders, even though they're rentals. At the moment, they don't look like they're going to be moved, but that could change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on Ray, we've heard, we've heard the Yankees involved with him for years now. So that's probably the team I'd watch there. If the D-backs do fall out of it, the Yankees certainly have room in their rotation for him. Um, and then Jose Quintana. He, he's had kind of a weird career where he flew under the radar and he was excellent for the White Sox for years and years and years. And then he finally got the notoriety he earned and that huge trade for Eloy Jimenez to the Cubs. And since then, he's been kind of okay. Not, not the caliber that he was with the White Sox. Um, and so his value has fallen off in accordance. But he's another guy that seems like if he has four or five starts and he's in it, he's back, he's looking, the fastball's looking live, then he could go for, he could be a, he could be an asset for a contending team. Yeah, I think there's a little more upside as well. I think we've factored in the injury and in unfortunate kitchen incident. Um, so we'll see right. if he comes back healthy, um, but he could that. certainly go up. Yep. And, and speaking of our earlier point where we keep an eye on guys, um, I noticed Michael Walker had an excellent performance mm-hmm. uh, with the Mets. So he might start to trend up a little bit. It might be a sneaky sort of pick there. Um, mm-hmm. That, again, you know, presumes if the Mets fall out of contention. Yes, yeah. and I did see Porcello was a little less than excellent for the Mets. Mets unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, right. and then we've got um, kind Those of the, the bigger names. Yeah, and so, you know, guys who are sort of you know, on the rumor mill a little bit because, you know, they're certainly, you know, pitchers who would be in demand if they were to become available. And these are guys who are strong performers they're mostly on contending teams they've got years of control but the clocks are starting to tick and they might be getting a little more expensive and so here we're talking about guys like mike clevenger of the indians and john gray of the rockies uh, lance lynn we mentioned him of the of you know the rangers and shaman of the a's so you know these guys would be um i think in demand kyle freeland is on this list he had an excellent first start you know he had an up and down year last year but he might be back you could see his value going up. So these guys would be in demand if their teams made them available and would be the ones that would be closer to the tops of rotations. Mm-hmm. I think Freeland and Gray have my attention here. I think the Rockies as a whole are very confusing. <laughs> We've discussed this before. Mm-hmm. They're a confusing team that I don't think they exactly know where they are in the on the contention cycle, and then the expanded playoffs make it even less clear. Um, so it's hard to get a hard to get a feel of whether they would consider moving Freeland or Gray. Gray especially has been discussed for a couple of years now. Um, but those are those are both the types that if they do decide to move them, they could be huge for a team down the stretch. They've both shown ace potential, um, and their value doesn't reflect that because they've had some really bad years mixed in with that. Yeah. Uh, Freeland went from one of the best pitchers, I think it was the best pitcher in, best pitching season in Rockies history. Um, to the minor leagues. <laughs> like, he was yeah. optioned to the minor leagues last season. He was just struggling to get outs. It's unbelievable. Um, 
But those two guys could be difference makers in the market if the Rockies do decide to finally sell off some pieces. I don't think they will because they just haven't. They've always been so stubborn. Um, but if they do, those two are big, big names. And I think Steven Matz is also interesting for the same reasons that the other two Mets are, is that the Mets are another, they're another one of those bubble-ish teams and they got a pretty deep-ish rotation. I don't, I don't want to go as far as to say it's deep. They have some decent arms in there, um, but I don't know if it's enough behind DeGrom to lead them to the playoffs, to lead them through the playoffs. So maybe if they do fall out of it, Matz is one of the guys they look to move. Yeah, and speaking of the Mets, um, we originally had Marcus Roman on this list, but he's since gotten injured. And even though he's downplaying himself, it feels like the team is saying, no, we're going to wait and see on it. So mm -hmm. he would have been one of the low probability rentals. Um, there's not a whole lot of value there, but it would have been on the list. Um, but again, um, yeah, rotations can get really shaky soon. I mean, injury bugs can happen. And so it could happen to any one of these guys. Um, so, you know, any one of these could be in demand uh, if their teams fall out of it, or if more teams, you know, have needs for, um, you know, to fix their rotations. We don't know. We're just keeping an eye on these guys. We're just mentioning that um, if things kind of fell a certain a certain way, they might be, you know, their teams might take offers on them. Mm -hmm. I think Clavender is probably the biggest name in terms of value here. Um, it seems like the Indians are going to be in contention though, so I don't think that's happening this 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 year. Uh, but you know, we'll see. Yeah, the expanded playoffs make this list just yeah. It's it's hard to see any of these guys moving. I say from this list, the most likely is probably Ross Stripling, just because the Dodgers, as we mentioned last week or last episode, they've already had discussions about moving him, and they almost right. came to an agreement there. Right. Um, I don't know if that, the calculus seems like it's changed a bit for them though, um, with Kershaw's back issues and right. some of the other issues the rotation has had in the early goings. So. Maybe he's even more important to them now, but he's just the one name that we've seen in active trade talks. Yeah, and I think they value the depth, and he's a swingman mm -hmm. as well, so they could use him out of the bullpen, and I think that's going to matter. So, yeah, I mean, I yeah, we included him here because he had been mentioned. Um, it, it seems less likely now, but who knows? So my takeaways from here from uh, the last episode when we hit the position players and this episode with starting pitchers. Position players, it seemed like they had – there were a lot of players – there were, there wasn't a whole lot of quality. There was certainly quantity, and there were certainly a handful of guys with legitimate value, with legitimate interest that could be something that could be a starter for their team down the stretch. This list doesn't really have the quality or the quantity. It's kind of Matt Boyd if they decide to move him, and then a whole lot of question marks. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Yeah, so this is kind of a double negative. Teams are hurting for starters, and there's not a whole lot available. You know, so mm -hmm. yeah, I think be... so. I think not to not to get too far ahead of ourselves here. I think if you wanted to on the relief pitcher list, you could list off a hundred names. I mean, yeah. I think relievers they've we've already seen them becoming more and more used, more and more important, more and more valuable over the years. I think that's no exception here. If teams are going to be especially a if the league is considering expanding their 30-man roster, um, 30 roster limit until deeper in the season, that was set to end next week, I believe. Yeah. But instead, uh, there, there's talks of extending it further throughout the season to give these teams more pitchers, more depth um, while they're getting back into it here. I think yeah. 
in that scenario, those relievers, especially the ones that can go one or two innings, are just so much more valuable um, to the point where some cast-offs like Birch Smith. Birch Smith has two wins for the A's because <laughs> they've had to empty their bullpen every game this season. He's just happened to be on the mound at the right time a couple times. Like Birch Smith, he was DFA'd by the Giants. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Eno Saras of The Athletic um, did a piece um, analyzing, you know, um, starting pitcher counts and the trend has been going down mm -hmm. you know there you know we knew about the fact that you know less guys were going complete games less guys were going third times through the order and now it's getting even more extreme like the average you know you would think would have been about six innings and then it was trending down to five innings and so far this year it's four innings the average yeah. order is going four innings which means you need all those bullpen arms now to some degree you're you've got a bunch of guys in your pocket so you're playing them and you're also being cautious because you want to you know um you want to make sure your starters get ramped up properly and you want to make sure you know, you don't get all these injuries that are happening. And so there's a lot of care being taken. And so a lot of these relievers are being used, to your point. Um, so there's there's a whole bunch of quantity there that's going to come up. But there's some quality emerging as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that'll do it for this week. We hit on so much. This is definitely one of our longer episodes. We had so many topics to cover. And that's that's kind of a great thing. I'm glad that baseball is back and we have so much so much fun stuff to talk about. Uh, so much to speculate on, and I'm really excited to see what happens over these coming weeks. Yeah, well, let, knock on wood, let's hope it continues yes, definitely. and everybody's safe. Yeah. Yes. All right, so that'll do it for us this week. If you have any questions, comments, or critiques, go feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. And yeah, I think this has been a fun one and I can't wait to uh, hop on another call with you in a couple weeks to discuss the relief pitchers. Me too. Thanks, Josh. All right, thanks. Thanks.